We're reading from the 22nd chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, beginning with the 15th verse. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this? And whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the New Revised Standard Version that I'm reading to you from today says these things a little bit differently. What we have always heard is give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's, right? And we've heard that quoted in our culture to justify justify all sorts of allegiances that we're supposed to have because people in our culture and our society need for us to have allegiances to them. On the other side of that, we've also heard head differently. What we have heard is the word image. And in truth, the Greek word that's there in the text is icon, from which we get the Latin word that we translate into English, icon. You all have heard of an icon before, right? But before we go into that, i got to tell you this little joke. And it goes like this. What did Cinderella say when she left the photo shop? Someday my prince will come. That's pretty good, isn't it? Someday my prince will come. Now, you know, if you hadn't laughed, I was prepared to explain the joke, right? And tell you that typically in a Cinderella story, prince is P-R-I-N-C-E, but what I have written down is P-R-I-N-T-S. Because prince are prince of an image, right? Prince of an icon. Prince of light reflecting into a camera. Prince of something that's meant to represent something else. So when Caesar, when the emperor of Rome needed to make money to be used in the kingdom because he wasn't going to have these Jewish people using their money, they're going to use his money because if he's using his money, he owns it. Because his head is on it. It's got his image on it. It has his name on it. It is his, not yours. You're using it. Under his gracious omnipotence, he's allowing you to use his coin. His icon is on it. That which represents him. His image is on the coin. And it points to 
Caesar. It says that it belongs to Caesar. And what's more, the inscription that's on it is problematic. You see, when the Jews would come to the temple to pay the temple tax, they would not bring that coin into the temple because of what it said on it. And because in the commandments, the Ten Commandments, it says you shall not make a graven image for yourself and worship it, right? Well, the emperors had decided that they were divine and people should worship them and hold them up as gods and divinity. And we know that in some ways because of what was on that coin. And what the coin said was Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. So on this coin that is speculated they carried into the temple court, where it should not have ever been, on this coin was stamped the image of Caesar. And on this coin was stamped Tiberius Caesar, son of God. Son of the divine Augustus. That's a problem for a devout Hebrew person. It's a problem, period. Because are we to have any gods other than the God of Israel? No. And so when they brought this in, they're trying to trap Jesus. Because if Jesus says to them, No, you don't pay the tax then he supports sedition, he supports rebellion against Rome, and they have something that they can carry to Herod, they can carry to Pilate, whoever's in power in that place at that moment, they can carry it to that person and charge him with rebellion and sedition and have him put to death. But if he says to them, yes, you're to pay the tax, then the Pharisees can charge him with blasphemy, with allegiance to Caesar, with allegiance to one who says he's the son of the divine Augustus. And they think they have him trapped until Jesus asks an iconic question to them. Let's deal with that iconic phrase. You know, if I said, um, if I were trying to get you to think of a movie title, And I said, you're going to need a bigger boat. What movie would you think of? It's an iconic movie line, right? You're going to need a bigger boat. We all, most of us know what movie that's from. We've heard it to the point where we associate it directly with that. It's an iconic movie line. So this question has become iconic for people who struggle with what it means to be faithful to the kingdom of Christ in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. When Jesus said, whose head, whose icon is on it? What is the inscription on it? Whose image is on the coin? And over and over as the church would struggle with that, the church's teachers have said to the church that the question we're supposed to ask next of ourselves is whose image is stamped on us? And that's the trap that Jesus lays for them. They come to trap him, to get him into sedition, to get him into blasphemy, but he lays the trap for them by saying, whose image is stamped on you? Is it Caesar's image? And for us, he might say, whose image is stamped on you? Your political party? Your nation? Whose image is stamped on you, church? 
Unfortunately, the entire book of Matthew is deeply political because Jesus is preaching about a kingdom. He's not just preaching about some faraway heaven. He's preaching about a kingdom now, a kingdom that demands our allegiances, that demands our heart because of who he is, because he is the son of God and not Tiberius, not Tiberius Caesar. And so when they come and say, is it lawful to pay taxes to the Caesar or not? Jesus turns the question on them by asking them to ponder whose image is on you. Who owns you? Because remember, Caesar's head on the coin meant that Caesar owned the coin. Whose image is on you? As we began worship today, we recited together a sentence. Do you remember what it was? Let's try that. I, I am created in the image of God. When we hear Jesus said, whose image is on the coin, our thoughts, I believe, are intended to go back to the Genesis chat text that I read to the children during the children's sermon where it says that God created humankind in God's image. Male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. And if God's image is stamped on you, who do you belong to? Anybody want to guess? If God's image is stamped on you, who do you belong to, church? Paul says you're being remade into the image of Christ. If God's image is stamped on you, who should be your first allegiance in this world? God! That's Jesus' point to them. The Herodians are leaving behind their first love. They're leaving behind their commitment to God by holding up Caesar as God by carrying the coin. And the Pharisees are forgetting that God comes first and not their rules and not their tradition and not their traps and not their plotting. And so he might ask us today, what are we putting ahead of him? We're created in God's image and we belong to God. Are we letting our allegiances be caught up by other things? Are those things more important than what God wants in the world? Justice, that we would walk in love and humility and walk in justice, act justly, walk humbly with our God? Are other things so important to us that we would forget that the Bible says that true religion is the care of widows and orphans? Are we so wrapped up in our own things that we would forget that God demands our all? Our whole heart? Because God loves us with God's whole heart. Whose image is on us? Who do we belong to? That is the iconic question that's in front of us. A question that we're meant to carry with us all through our lives. Because when we come to the fount of baptism, when you were baptized, whether you were poured, sprinkled, or dunked, when you were baptized, the image on you was repaired and the sinful brokenness taken out of you and God's image in you made new so that you can reflect the life, the light, and the love of God in this world. That 
image stamped on you. And now your purpose, dear one, your purpose in this world is to reflect light and love and life to your neighbor, to everyone whom you're in contact with. And that, dear one, begins as you remember that his image is stamped on you and you belong to him. That, I believe, is what this parable calls us to wrestle with. Others have said that Jesus is teaching a kind of dual allegiance, that that we have one allegiance to our nation and one allegiance to Jesus, and I just can't see that. But they're perfectly credible teachers, so if you want to hold on to that, that's fine. But it seems to me that what Jesus is really challenging them to do is reflect on whose image is stamped on them. And that's what I'm challenging us to do today. To reflect on whose image is stamped on us. Who is it that we say we belong to? And who is it that our life says we belong to? Who is it that our words and our actions say we belong to? Who is it that our priorities say we belong to? There are ways that we can respond to Jesus' challenge. And one of the simple ways comes from Martin Luther, who said that every time we washed our face, we should remember our baptism. And we can take that one step farther. Remember when I held this little gizmo up to the kids, and they said, that's a mirror, and we talked about how it reflects. What if every time you see yourself in a mirror this week, you remind yourself that God's image is stamped on you, and you belong to God first and foremost before anything else? Do you suppose that might change some things in your life? That it might give you more dignity, more self-worth, more self-esteem? Do you suppose that it might call you to different behavior and different thoughts, to different words, to different actions? What if instead of trying to find permission to give our hearts part way to one thing and part way to God in this story, what if we found permission to consider the possibility that what Jesus is talking about is remembering that our whole being belongs to God? Doesn't Scripture say that in Him we live and move and have our being? What if this week, every time you see your reflection in a mirror, you say to yourself, I am created in the image of God. That's my invitation to you this week, church. Every time you see yourself in a mirror this week, remind yourself whose icon, whose image is stamped on you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.